Supply chains prepare for peak season. New regulations on tap for shipping certain food products. And mixed bag for West Coast ports. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Schneider, whose dedicated service offers you consistent, reliable capacity while providing the flexibility to grow with the demands of your business. To find out how dedicated solves your shipping challenges, head over to schneider.com dedicated. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, supply chains continue to face many challenges as we're about to enter peak season. How are they prepared to handle the year's busiest times? To find out about trends and tools available to keep supply chains running well, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Dan McGregor, co-founder of supply chain digitalization and IoT company Nexiot. He's here to talk with us about global supply chain trends and digitalization. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Victoria. Nice to join you. First, uh, can you tell us briefly about Nexiot? What is your company's role in the supply chain? What do you do? Yes, um, uh, thanks for that. Um, We're deploying sensors and gateways and hardware. So uh, we deal with um, connectivity and device management and data management. So we're gathering data from non-powered mobile assets that are traveling around the world, like shipping containers and rail cars. And, um, you know, it struck me uh, when I was started to think about the emergence of Internet of Things. We've heard a lot about it, you know, uh, people predicting back in, um, you know, 20, 2015 that there would be 30 billion objects connected to the Internet by now. And um, we haven't quite seen that happen, but um, it occurred to me that, you know, why is it that you can monitor your pet in the garden and your child on the way to school, your luggage in the airport, uh, your new shoes in the mail to your front door and your pizza is delivered to, you know, else? you're watching tv but you can't monitor a shipping container as it travels travels across the planet it just doesn't make sense so um in nexiot scope you know we monitor as i said non-powered mobile assets like shipping containers tank containers rail cars assets that have no power and we uh, we gather location data and data on the cargo itself and on the handling of that cargo on inter- impact events and we mix it with other data like um GIS layers and weather data and things like this. And we we calculate estimated times of arrival and we enable our customers to monitor the the objects as they're traveling around the world. Great. Um, well, in light of all that, there are so many issues affecting how things move around the world, especially here in the North American supply chain. A lot of issues going on on the West Coast, you know, the, at the ports, uh, rail lines, uh, with trucking, uh, labor laws and things like that. What are your concerns um, looking at just those issues and the North American supply chain and how are your clients reacting to this problem? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, obviously there are concerns and it's not just about, you know, the labor shortages or the disputes over over pay and so on, uh, you know, the ports on the on the uh, on the on the West Coast. Um, It's also, um, you know, the question of what do we do with data how do we create value who are the who is the customer is maybe the first question to ask because you know you think that 
if the ones that are getting affected by insecurity at the ports might be initially retailers and manufacturers who are trying to plan their and schedule their 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 own business but in a, in in the end it affects the consumers but it also affects everybody else through that value network because there's so many codependencies so you know a shutdown or a slowdown at a port can have devastating effects you know across the economy and obviously this has to be avoided at all costs so um you know, we really need to work together, and this is part of the sort of the story of digitization as well. It's about you know creating value or or retaining value from the supply chain um, by using data and making sure that the right people get the right piece of data so that they can do the best job that's possible. So, how does this issue, um, you know, sort of what we just talked about and the local issues here affect the broader um, problem of global supply chain delays and disruptions, particularly in light of all the chaos we've seen the past couple of years. So I, I guess the, the bigger picture here, how does this all figure in? Yeah, um, well, we've seen a lot of chaos, but it's not that it's new, uh, particularly. Um, you know, uh, the Suez crisis was the second one that we've seen. Um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, uh, you know, boxes, uh, empty boxes strewn across the tracks in LA on the rail tracks, um, you know, from thefts and so on. And, you know, we've seen vessels burned down at sea because of misdeclared cargo. And, you know, I think that the, you know, the labor disputes are one element of that. And maybe there's a bit of opportunism going on because the supply chain has been highlighted as, you know, sort of a, a, a weak spot or a vulnerable spot for humanity. Um, but we're all extremely dependent upon it. And, um, you know, I think that we've got to recognize that the port workers themselves and the supply chain professionals in general are incredibly skilled and committed people who are working often under very challenging conditions. And when we think about, you know, the threat of automation, and this is a sort of certainly a, you know, a perceived concern for the industry, um, we've seen obviously automation with the invention of the shipping container itself. Um, you know, actually, um, you know, this, um, this happened when the box, the, you know, the, the original intermodal container was invented in the 50s and 60s, became mainstream. There were lots of riots and strikes at ports amongst the, the, the port workers because they felt that they would be put out of work because of, you know, the increase in efficiency. But actually, you know, there's lots of different elements that are at play here. We you know we've got safety, um, we've got to manage emissions, we've got to remain competitive. And we have to increase capacity from these infrastructure bases like ports and terminals in order to, um, you know, keep up with the with the increase in demand for 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 global globally shipped goods. So, you know, there's a lot of complexity. And actually, the one thing that you know we need is better data. If we have the right data and the right information, the right tools at hand, then it makes exception handling easier. It makes planning more accurate. It makes us more agile to respond to challenges and disruptions. And it also it ensures that the workers themselves have the right tools in their hands and are able to be more productive. Uh, it's not that they will be out of a job, it's that they will get the opportunity, you know, as the right data is available to, to improve the work that they do. Can you give a, you know, a quick example of that, like how automation um, and digitization can, can, can do that? Um, you know, why um, workers shouldn't, you know, be, be really fearful. We hear that a lot in different aspects of the supply chain. You know, how specifically, you know, from your perspective, can it actually, you know, help them? 
Yeah, so I mean, one thing is to have the right tools at hand, and that can be physical tools as well. The right piece of equipment needs to be in the right place. And there's a lot of inefficiency where, you know, workers are standing around waiting for something to happen or waiting for a third party. Um, also, you know, there's issues over planning. If you don't know what's going to arrive at your, you know, or your plant or terminal or operation center when, then um, you've got issues, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, in terms of, um, you know, how to deploy the workforce, um, wh when they need to be at a certain place, and and when things change, when things get delayed, when something isn't going to arrive on time, then there's a contingency. So, um, you know, we actually have this idea of a digital twin or a digital agent even, so that, you know, the human involved in the supply chain at the moment, there's lots of text messages going on, lots of phone calls, you know, it's all reactive. Um, it's not very easy to be proactive until you have prior information available at, you know, at your disposal. So, you know, we have maybe somebody who's been waiting for something to arrive in order to do their job. If they if they know that it's not going to arrive and they know when it's going to arrive, then there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of informing people and 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 changing documents and getting things stamped and com confirmed by, by third parties that wouldn't need to be done anymore. Um, you know, obviously, it depends on having the right data and the right right data comes from lots of sources but it's about gathering data from the asset and the cargo and also from third party sources you know from waybills and 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 from historical data weather data different layers of data uh, and then and then having the full picture in hand what's your outlook for sort of the adoption rate of this these kinds of um technologies and automation, um, you know, including, you know, but not limited to, you know, the asset monitoring devices that you do, you deal with, but everything. Uh, how, how quickly do you think a lot of this is going to happen? Yeah, well, there's a lot of talk about the port automation at the moment and still sort of thing like 90% of the ports or more even are still not automated because if you've invested in a port long time ago, uh, you know, port terminal um, equipment like um, gantry cranes and so on, um, then you would, there's no retrofit solution necessarily available. So, you know, this sort of takes its time because these are long, long term infrastructure investments. But we've seen, uh, you know, Hapag Lloyd have now signed a deal, you know, with Nexiot that we're going to, you know, equip uh, the majority of their uh, dry container fleet. So we've seen refrigerated containers have already been equipped some time ago, um, and that's been, you know, creating huge benefits uh, for the industry. But now it starts to be that everything will be monitored. And, you know, it actually accelerating this adoption curve, you know, it's now early mainstream rather than early adopter phase um, on the, you know, sort of on the hype cycle or the adoption cycle. And, um, you know, with Hapag Lloyd, that's really, a, they're throwing a challenge down to the whole industry to say, uh, you know, we're, we, we say this should be standard now that all our customers should be able to access data on their cargo and be able to plan their supply chains better um, and have, uh, you know, opportunity to, um, optimize things based on cost or safety or sustainability or speed um, live uh, during the journey making decisions and even automating processes and, and, and decision making. So, you know, I think basically, you know, we're really seeing now over the next few years, um, we're going to see five, five million plus shipping containers 
will be equipped. Most of the tank containers will be equipped, and um, and also there's two million rail cars in the North American market, and at least half of those will be equipped in the next few years. So I think that you know it's time now where it's rather than it's not a question of of if but when, and the when is now, especially for the leaders, for the people at the forefront who understand that they've got to create new value for their customers, and that comes from data. Really quickly, you know, what other issues are you watching sort of around the world that may influence um, supply chains, especially as we're heading into peak shipping season now? You know, anything else that you kind of wanted to leave our listeners with? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, um, there's lots of risks still. Uh, you know, just to take one example, for example, they 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 load charcoal into shipping containers in Indonesia sometimes at a, at a high temperature, and there's too much friction when it goes into the vessel and it goes to sea, and this this charcoal will is self-heating cargo in effect, and it can catch on fire and it can burn down, you know, the the, the whole vessel potentially. And I think that you know we've got a, a real surge in in interest in ESG and in in improving sustainability, and this is a certainly shooting up the list of priorities of the of the cargo owners and the shippers themselves. I think that cargo owners and shippers are driving the trend. Um, they want to obviously know that they're getting you know their things through on time in the right in, you know taking the right route and so on. But there's some more there's more social responsibility going on in the decision making and thinking. Also, another thing that we're seeing is the demand for agility. So uh, there needs to be uh, flexibility to change you know as circumstances change. And when we think back to the to the to the pandemic and also the recent disputes, the trade disputes that we started talking about at the beginning. Um, you know, we don't know what's coming next and uh, nobody knows what's coming next. But one thing is clear, you know, the, those who are able to adapt quickly and to, uh, you know, to evolve to new circumstances, new market conditions, new economic conditions, um, changing weather due to climate change, etc. They're going to be the ones that actually, you know, lead the way and are able to, um, you know, create value and to to increase their profits uh, as a result of that. So I think that you know we we see some mega trends and the digitization trend is supporting um, agility, sustainability, flexibility, and so on um, for every single stakeholder who's involved in the global value network. Dan, thank you very much for being with us today. We really appreciate your insights. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that we weren't able to talk about more because I'm sure there's loads of things that we could cover. Um, but certainly, I, I think it was a, a good discussion. And thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Victoria. Great. Well, thank you. We've been talking with Dan McGregor of Nexiot. Uh, back to you, Dave. Thank you, Daniel and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about new FDA regulations for keeping certain foods cool in transit that shippers and carriers will soon have to deal with. Can you share some of the details? Yeah, glad to. Uh, you know, we've been covering, of course, delays and backups in cargo movements, you know, throughout pandemic for over the last year, at least here. But uh, certain items have always been particularly sensitive to delays. Um, and obviously, when you're shipping something like milk or ice cream, it's got to be kept cold throughout the entire supply chain journey uh, or else it'll spoil or, or simply be destroyed and melt. Um, in order to do that, of course, the chippers and carriers, uh, as well as other partners, they, they use refrigerated containers, uh, refrigerated trucks or reefers. Uh, they also use sensors to measure the temperature increasingly and, and track and trace systems uh, to record and share all the data. 
So now it turns out uh, that that job, that whole process, will grow a little more complex starting in 2023. Uh, it sounds a long way off, but uh, in January, uh, the US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, will announce a new list of 16 sensitive foods that they may not actually melt during transportation, but uh, more importantly, they could make consumers sick because of the risk of infections or bacteria growth. So this new list is called Section 204, and that's a reference to its place within the Food Safety Modernization Act, FSMA, uh, which is a, a common acronym uh, for those who work with food transportation. The change will first go live, as we said, in January, uh, but the FDA will actually give companies a period of two years to come into compliance with uh, the expanded list of foods. Uh, and that could be a fair amount of work for them because, uh, as we said, retailers, wholesalers, all their trading partners, they all have to maintain records of every movement of these specific food categories from the point of origin to the point of sale to the consumer. Uh, and the two-year clock uh, means that they'll have to do that, uh, you know, for real and uh, in real time beginning in 2025. Right. Well, of course, food safety is important, but it's this sounds like a major upgrade. Do we know what companies will do to comply with the new regulations? Uh, great question. Uh, exactly how are they going to do that? Um, well, track and trace technology uh, is, is something that, that we've covered for years. It's been around for a while. Um, it often uses sensors attached to shipments, uh, wireless signals to communi communicate that data, uh, software to record and share the results. Uh, supply chain visibility firms like Four Kites, uh, also another one is iFood DS. They have solutions uh, already, live commercial solutions. And last week, the supermarket trade group called the National Grocers Association, uh, they named a Utah firm called Repositrack to be their traceability and compliance partner in this effort. So that gives some guidance to all of the trade group's member companies, which are, of course, grocers. Uh, but the NGA, the National Grocers Association, did say that once Section 204 is published, it will take time to adopt these new technologies and change processes to fully implement that new traceability. Uh, and in case you're wondering what the foods are, uh, the list of 16 what the FDA calls high-risk foods, uh, they were determined by comparing risk factors like the frequency of outbreaks, the severity of the illnesses that might happen, and the likelihood of contamination uh, between them. And the answers, when you uh, look at all those variables, uh, some things are not surprising. Soft cheeses like brie and camembert, uh, cucumbers and leafy greens and lettuces um, and melons. Uh, you sometimes hear about those uh, with, with, with sicknesses that, that hit the headlines in the news. Um, certain herbs, uh, crustaceans and, and, uh, and seafood, uh, not too surprising there. Uh, and one that sort of caught my eye was ready-to-eat deli salads. Uh, so I'm not sure why that one made the list, but now it's making me a little hungry. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, well, we, we want to see those kinds of foods arrive safely to our dinner tables. So thank you, Ben. Yep, glad to. And Victoria, in your interview earlier, you talked about the West Coast ports, and you wrote this week that July showed mixed results in their port operations. Can you share why? Sure, happy to. Yeah, so supply chain challenges and government regulations continue to affect cargo flow on the West Coast. Um, and that's according to some monthly reports that we uh, saw that were released this week. Um, officials at the Port of Los Angeles and at the Port of Oakland reported figures for July this past Wednesday. 
And between the two, um, it was a mixed bag. Uh, cargo flow improved in LA, where the backlog of ships waiting at anchor has dropped by nearly 90% since January. And they also saw imports and exports uh, increase during the month following uh, declines that were reported in June. Now, congestion at the Port of Los Angeles has been an issue all year, so some easing of the pressure there uh, is noteworthy. There were um, 109 ships at anchor outside Los Angeles in January, compared to um, about 13, 13 to 15 um, as recently as this, the middle of this past week. Truck dwell times there are down as well, uh, falling from a high of 11 days to four days. Um, and that increased fluidity came, uh, you know, despite the port's continued handling of record cargo volume. Seven months into the year, um, the Port of Los Angeles is moving cargo at a pace that's on par with last year, which was um, a record setter. All this data comes from uh, the port's executive director, Gene Soroka, who presented the statistics at a press conference um, on Wednesday. July statistics from the Port of Oakland were also released that day, and they were not as strong. They reflected slowdowns that were driven by the trucker protests that happened there early in the month. Um, and the protests were against California's AB5 labor law, which we've discussed here on the podcast and in our news pages. And that imposes um, some sweeping changes on independent owner operators. So what they saw at the port in July was total container volume um, was down 28% year over year. Imports were down nearly 27% and exports were down more than 30%. And officials in Oakland said it could take a month for port traffic to recover from the protests. Interestingly, the story's not over with AB5. It's still unclear how the law will be enforced. And local officials there say, you know, that's causing a lot of confusion and some anxiety among motor carriers who are, who are still waiting to see how all this will play out and what steps they will need to take uh, to uh, deal with it. Right. Now, Victoria, you mentioned some other regulations and challenges that they're facing. What are they? Yeah, um, well, you know, there's, of course, all the supply chain snags that um, everyone is dealing with, um, higher costs due to inflation, a shortage of workers in some cases, high inventory levels and a lack of warehouse space and so on. But in California, there's another regulation on the horizon that may cause capacity problems beginning in the new year in 2023. On January 1st, a new truck and bus regulation from the California Air Resources Board, also known as CARB, is scheduled to go into effect. And that rule will essentially ban truck models made in 2009 or earlier from entering ports and rail yards throughout the state. And that's a move that industry groups, um, including the California Trucking Association and the Harbor Trucking Association, say uh, you know, will affect around 23% of the region's drayage fleet. You know, and they argue that potentially losing a quarter of the capacity from the system will have a pretty severe impact on the industry's ability to keep uh, cargo moving. So um, both of those groups are doing a lot of work to, um, you know, just remind the industry that this is coming and and so people can be prepared and deal with that. But, but it is a concern. Separately, it was interesting, both uh, officials at both ports um, said they also expect demand for imports to soften. They expect to see that reported um, in their August figures, which will be out in September. And that's driven by slowing factory orders in China and elevated inventory levels um, among some U.S. retailers. So there may be a leveling off of activity ahead. We'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot still going on out there on the West Coast. Yeah. Well, after a very hectic year, the slowing might actually just be a chance for everyone to sort of catch their breath. 
Yeah. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Daniel McGregor of Nexiet for being our guest today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane is co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. The current series of programs focuses on supply chain digitalization. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Logistics Matters. It's brought to you by Schneider. Schneider Dedicated helps you take control of your supply chain with reliable, consistent capacity. To find out how Dedicated solves your shipping challenges, head over to schneider.com slash dedicated. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at what small fleet carriers can do to navigate market volatility. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.